All right, take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Job. And yes, you heard right. We are going to tackle the book of Job. Okay. Uh, that could be, I know for the book of Acts, we're finishing that up on Sunday night, and that required 48 messages. I don't know if you counted, but the 48th message will be Sunday night. Ruth required, uh, I believe, uh, 17, 16 or 17. And so Job will require approximately 456. So stick around. Now, I don't know if we'll go through the whole thing at one shot. Uh, sometimes you take on a big book like this, uh, we have subject fatigue. And we take a little time off and we'll go to other places. But uh, Job, one of the reasons, I tell you what, is I always pray and look at what we want to do, what we want to take on next as we look at uh, character uh, studies and all that. And by the way, this is not as much... Uh, verse by verse through the book of Job, that is a character study on Job. And so looking at character study, one of the reasons that I want to preach out of it is because I want to study it myself, and there's no studying like we do when we want to preach from it. And so we're going to take this on. Uh, to help understand the book of Job better, we can split it up into different subdivisions. You've got the character of God, the cause of the suffering, the counsel of Job's friends, the criticism of God, and then the confessions of Job. Uh, so I want to look at this just as a real quick overview before we begin, that you have the character of God. The main issue in the book of Job is not the suffering. Now we may talk about that more than anything else. We, we, what is the first thing you think about when you hear the word Job? You think about the suffering. Uh, and that is a big part of our life. And so we, I mean, that's what we're going to put our focus on. We, we, we basically obsess over our own suffering and difficulty sometimes. But... Uh, the main issue in the book of Job is the character of God. That's what was driven home to Job uh, through these different things. Now, Satan criticized God about God's treatment of Job. Uh, when, and then later, Job criticized God about God's treatment for Job. So, uh, Satan, when he was treating him well, Job, when he was treating him bad. Satan was upset that Job did not perish. Job was upset that he suffered. In both cases, God was criticized. Now, when God answers Job at the end of the book, I think it's interesting that he never addresses the issue of suffering. Uh, that wasn't the issue of the book. Again, we make it that because that's what we focus on. But he made it about the honor of God. He doesn't tell Job why he suffered. Never does tell him that. Uh, rather, he speaks to Job about the wonders of creation, about all the power and the wisdom of God, and uh, makes the point there that God can act as he pleases. And by the way, if we seek to honor God and we lift God up in our life, the criticism for God will die off. We aren't going to criticize him if we honor him. So, uh, his wisdom his is impeccable regardless of what he does. Uh, he created and maintained the universe. That is the theme of God's speech to Job. Uh, he showed kindness to Job, which Satan criticized. He allowed Job to suffer, which Job criticized. But God has to be trusted and honored. We see that throughout the book. We'll look at those different things. God's main concern is his glory, something that few of us seem to realize. So when his glory is under attack, he's going to then focus on that rather than lesser issues like the suffering of Job. Now to us that sounds, you know, my suffering is not a lesser issue, but really it is because this is so temporary. Our suffering is very temporary in this world. We have an eternity before us. And so God is more 
concerned about the bigger things which in our lives sometimes seem like lesser things. Second, we see the cause of suffering. The philosophy of Job's day was that if you suffered, it was because of your sin. The philosophy of our day is often the same. If you're suffering or something bad is happening, it's because you were bad. Now, we'll see that with Job's friends. But this philosophy is what guided their counsel Then, when they came to him. These men had no comprehension about uh, the afflictions of the righteous, talks about in Psalm 34. Yes, sin, of course, brings suffering. We are going to suffer the consequences of sin every time that we allow it into our life. But not all suffering is a result of sin. A lot of suffering is a result of, you know, teaching us patience, teaching us all the things that God wants to mold us into the image of his son, Romans 8.29. So Job's friends thought that the great suffering of Job indicated he was a sinner, and they were wrong about that. Well, that, that wasn't he was a sinner, but not, that wasn't why he had suffered. And then we see the counsel of his friends. He, uh, they didn't have a clue, really, about what Job was really suffering for. They did, though, give some great truths about life and and uh, we'll see those, but we don't let those truths confuse us into believing they give good counsel. Then the criticism of God. Job, under the pressure of his suffering, did at times criticize God. Job was not impeccable in his reactions to his suffering, as we often are not either. I mean, can we blame him? I, I, in my preaching and ministry many times in the past, I have criticized, as many preachers have, Job's wife, for example. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? And somebody said something to me recently, and it stuck with me, something we ought to remember. Let's not criticize Job's wife until we lose ten children in one day and everything that we hold dear. Uh, How would we respond? All right, Uh, And that's something for us to think about. We can look at her, oh, how little face she had. She had quite a loss, all right? And so, anyway, so we, the criticism of God did bring condemnation by God at the end of the book. And uh, it only indicated that Job needed some corrections about his views about God. But, of course, this type of thing happens to people. Uh, it's going to, <laughs> we, we need to understand that there are sometimes we have the wrong reaction. So let us then, if people are suffering and they respond, sometimes not perfectly, Let's be there for him instead of like Job's friends, come and criticize him, you know. I mean, it's amazing sometimes in churches how uh, people go through difficult times and uh, you ought to be able to go to church, get lifted up, get encouraged, and sometimes you go and you get kicked while you're down. And that's a sad thing. It should never be the case. Let God clean them up. They don't always need our pontificating, amen. They just need our love, our support, arm around their shoulder, and God will do the work in their heart. Then we see the confessions of Job. Job was, uh, and did confess he was a sinner. Uh, he did not, he, he would not confess the sin, some great sin to bring about these troubles. If we're not careful, we might get the impression that Job's confession indicates he thinks his friends were right. That's not the case at all. Uh, the language of the book of Job sometimes is difficult to understand because it's written mostly in poetic form. A lot of figurative language is used in the book. And in some cases in Hebrew, there's more than one meaning for the same word. You have to use context to get that. And so uh, English translators uh, have struggled with getting everything in the book of Job uh, to, to translated correctly. And so it's, it's sometimes it's hard to understand uh, the different things. We'll try to tackle those as we go along. 
I want to start out, uh, let's read, first of all, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them, uh, number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Father, thank you for the time we have this evening. I pray in the next few minutes here, you'd bless the reading of your word. And may we glean some things from it that would be a help. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, hast thou considered my servant Job? This, this, uh, this is going to be the conversation that the Lord has with Satan here. And uh, in, in verse number 8, I didn't read that far tonight, but the suffering described in the book of Job uh, came to a man who was very wealthy. He had a large family. He had an exalted reputation, had position. Sometimes this, uh, sometimes we think that these type of people don't experience trouble, like we experience trouble, because they have so much or they have uh, or they're of that great position, but the book of Job says otherwise. Though he was a man of wealth and prestige, he still experienced heavy trials. If we are ever envying those that are famous or have great riches, let's not, because we don't have any idea what they're going through. Uh, people that have lots of money suffer like people that have little money, and uh, they lose family members too. They, lose, uh, they get diseases as well. Sometimes they have more trouble than anybody else. Uh, but let's look at Job, just uh, break down a little bit his condition, his, his assets he had here. Uh, from the first two verses of Job, we learn he had great assets. I want to just break down a few points of uh, make here about Job. We look at the confirmation about Job. There was a man. This is not a myth. It is not a parable. There was a man named Job. He's a real person in real history. It's a real story. Other scripture confirms the fact of Job being a real person twice in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, he is mentioned, Ezekiel 14, 14 and 14, 20. One reference of Job in the New Testament is made, James 5, 11. You have heard of the patience of Job. So the Bible clearly uh, confirms that Job existed. He was a man of high character. Then we look at the country of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz. He lived in a, that land. The, the lands are often named after people and the early civilizations of mankind especially. There were several people in the Bible named Uz. Uh, Aram, had the, which was the grandson of Shem, had a son named Uz, Genesis chapter 10, verse 23. James Smith wrote in Handfuls of Purpose, the days of Job were probably about the time of Abraham, as in the book there is no mention of Israel, the tabernacle, the temple, or the law. The location of us we can't really ascertain with a great deal of certainty, but uh, it was probably on the borderline of Edom. Lamentations 4.21, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwellest in the land of us. Now, let me just tell you, I have always thought still not convinced otherwise that the book of Job happened before the flood, or the man Job happened before the flood. And uh, I still, I'm not convinced either way on that. I've read 
and I've read a great deal on the timing, and I found out that I'm one of the only guys that thinks that. So I may be wrong. Usually, if I'm sitting alone in my in my opinions, I'm probably wrong. Uh, Kent Hovind also teaches that as well, for whatever that means. But uh, we talk about dinosaurs in Job, and uh, it just leads us to believe that. But anyway, most the the, the most mostly thought is that it was during the time of Abraham. But look at the compilation of Job, whose name was Job. The name Job has been given various meanings. Uh, most popular are persecuted or afflicted. This is uh, probably means his name was given to him after his trial. It could have been, uh, you, it wasn't uncommon in days like this. Other people in the Bible have been given names later based on their character or what happened in their life. Uh, Simon was changed to Peter. Saul was changed to Paul. There were others. Look at the character of Job. That man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Four things are said about his character here. He was upright. This describes the type of character he had. The word literally means straight. Uh, we today call somebody who is not upright sometimes as crooked, like politicians, many of them. So crooked when you bury them, you'll have to screw them in the ground, the saying goes. So uh, this is this is the opposite of upright, uh, which means straight. So the extent of his character, that man was perfect. The word perfect does not indicate sinlessness. The Bible refers to that. Be ye perfect even as I am. Uh, Job admitted to sinful failure, chapter 9, verse 20. He admitted to it in chapter 42, verse 6, and other places. Uh, he was not sinless, but uh, he the perfect the, the word perfect means he lived an upright and godly life. Job was more than a Sunday Christian. He's more than just uh, an occasional servant of God. He was faithful. He was a Christian every day of the week and uh, in everything that he did. Not many people live that way today. We live today in a time of convenient Christianity. We, well, we look around. I mean, how many people were here Sunday morning and how many people are here tonight? It's a, it's a matter of convenience for most. I mean, I, I know there's certain job requirements, but for mostly it's a matter of convenience, and and it's a sad thing how uh, that kind of a consumer society we live now. Look at the esteem is his character. Job feared God. This shows the quality of his righteousness. Many people appear righteous, upright, but they don't fear God. They're not sincere. True righteousness honors God. The fear of God. And by the way, I've asked this and been asked this several times uh, in this day and age, does there not seem to be any fear of God left? And there just doesn't. People live the way they want to live. And true righteousness, though, honors God. When people look at you, they may see what they consider a righteous person, a good person, but the proof of your goodness and my goodness is our attitude toward God. Do we fear God? Read the book of Proverbs. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of wisdom, fear of God is all throughout that book. Look at the evading by his character. Job eschewed evil. Good character stays away from evil. It does not go in places of evil. It does not look at evil. It does not think evil or speak evil. This idea of eschewed means to stay away from. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. People who dabble with evil, watch garbage on television, go to wicked places, befriending evil people, are not of the kind of character that Job was, does not honor God. He wanted nothing to do with evil, avoided it at all times. Now, obviously, 
I always try to, I think everybody knows my heart in here, this does not mean we snub the lost because you are unsaved, so I can't associate with you. That's not what I'm talking about at all. We're going to mention that. We're going to preach on that on Sunday morning, by the way. Uh, the pharisaical attitude. We don't have that, or nor do we promote it. Uh, I'm talking about allowing this to influence our life. Sometimes, when we eschew evil, it will cost us position or popularity, such as if you refuse to go to the prom or the boss's Christmas party where you know it's going to be a, just a drunken mess. We, we can refuse certain things, and maybe it'll cost us something. But if you fail to avoid evil, you will suffer greater losses in the long run. He has chewed evil. Look at the children of Job next year. There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Job was a family man. Uh, he had ten children. That's a large family. And then later, his wife got to bear ten more. That's always been an interesting, uh, you know, when God regave them children again. Uh, most people today don't appreciate large families. I know because we had one. Does our family consider as large? I think so. Uh, in fact, a blessing when we moved to South Dakota, not one time, unless, I, I don't think Katie's ever felt it either, but not one time has any negative thing been said about our large family. But in Michigan, it happened all the time. People would make comments to me about it, how irresponsible we are. People don't uh, respect large families anymore. We live in a time today of abortion, Planned Parenthood, worldly philosophies that uh, are unfriendly to families. But the Bible says in Psalm 127.3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. I was telling somebody the other day, that's true, by the way. Happy, it's a happy thing to have a lot of children. I was telling somebody the other day that, it, that happy is the man also whose quiver begins to empty. I mean, that's also a happy time in life. Not that I want to get rid of children, but I love the adult relationship of, 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 of my children as well. And great time this week with Naomi and Josiah here uh, because I like to have that. Uh, it's, it's a different kind of blessing to have an adult relationship with your children. So children are a blessing, and that's, he had a good bunch of them. Look at the fortune here in the assets. One, of, one verse describes... Job's fortune, it was a great one. Uh, by the way, good men are not always wealthy. Wealthy men are not always good. Uh, there are some very good men in the Bible who were very wealthy. Uh, wealth is not inherently evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. But nowhere in the Bible does, does God condemn wealth or condemn money. Nothing wrong with that. But we do find that so many times the two, evil and money, go hand in hand. And it, Jesus even said it's easier for a, cam a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, the reason is because when we have riches, we are so have such a tendency to trust in those riches. But he was a wealthy man. His fortune included livestock, laborers, and legend. His substance, the Bible says, also was seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred she asses. Now, let us break this down in terms of today's language. Sheep, this would be a, a great source of income. From the wool, also uh, provided much food for him because sheep was a common, is still actually a common eaten animal. Camels, today we would list this under transportation like trucks, semi-trailers, etc. 
camels, as has often been said, were called the ships of the desert. This is the way they transported things sometimes. Oxen, here he had, in our day, would be uh, equated to many tractors to do the farming with. And then asses, better to have than horses because they subsisted on less than most animals. Today, he would be, as he was then, a very wealthy farmer with much livestock and much machinery. He had a very great household, the Bible says. This refers to the laborers that Job had. He had a lot of servants. This man, the Bible says, was the greatest of all men in the East. So the Job's wealth made him a legend, well-known. Greatest speaks both of fame and fortune. And then look at the feasting. Talks about this, his children here. Now, children of wealthy people, of wealthy men, live their life differently than other children. Not something that I personally experienced, but I have talked to Wes's kids, and I found that that to be true. Uh, when, when kids are raised in wealthy homes, it's just a different raising. Job, <laughs> Job's children lacked nothing. Their father was very rich. They were able to indulge in activities that were expensive. Look at what the Bible says here. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day uh, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. A couple of things we can take from this. The phrase his day, most people that read this, uh, commentators and such, uh, we're talking about birthdays, basically. This is his day. They had big birthday parties. In the New Testament, we see the custom of big bashes for birthdays. Remember, Herod had one the day he removed John the Baptist's head from his body, had a big birthday celebration. It was a common thing in the East. And so uh, he, th we see something interesting here, though. It says it sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. That fact tells us two things. First of all, the harmony in the family. If you've got brothers inviting sisters, you've got pretty good harmony in that family. And that's what they had, I believe. There's a lot of love, I believe, in this family. We see that together, uh, togetherness here. Job's character, no doubt, contributed to this harmony. But it also not only talks of their harmony, but their holiness. If a group of brothers are going to get together and have a raunchy, debauchery-type party, they're not going to invite their sisters. And yet they did. And so leads us to believe it was a wholesome time and uh, not a bunch of immorality going on. But it's interesting what Job did next. Job, in verse 5, while the, the days of their feasting were going about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So he did this continually. Now, Job understood an important truth that we ought to grasp as well. Eating and drinking, feasting, celebrating, none of those are, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. We like to do it. In fact, this is the month we do it for Thanksgiving, amen? Get together, we feast, we enjoy that time with family. But the indulgence of physical appetites often leads to the indulgence of other physical appetites. And Job understood this. Uh, the, and so he was concerned about their activities becoming profane. And you can see Job's concern for his children's righteousness and integrity. He was wanted that to stay, and, and it just shows what a good dad he was. It went so far beyond. Yes, they had money, they had the means to have this great feast and get together, 
And yet he went so far beyond that he was concerned about their character. He was concerned about their integrity. He did not ignore the potential of evil even in good activities. And so he was on top of it there. He went to much trouble to protect his children from evil. Now, you might look at this and say, now come on, Job, your kids aren't doing anything wrong. I'm going just a little extreme here, but the Bible nowhere criticizes Job's actions. Rather, it illustrates that Job did not mess around with evil. He was not going to, he didn't want any sign of it. And so, he said, even if it's something that's going on in their heart, even if they're not doing anything wrong, and if they're thinking wrong, I want that out of their life. And so he's coming to God for it. This, this is great fatherhood. This is a, a great example of uh, how we ought to pray on the behalf of our children. And even after they're upgrown and out of the home, and grandchildren as they uh, grow up, we need to pray that uh, integrity remains in their heart, that even if they're not in the middle of doing something wrong, we live in a world today that is full of things to draw them every direction. And we got to pray for that. I mean, if they're, they go off to school, they grow up so much time, uh, different activities away from us, we got to pray that they can maintain their integrity and their character. And that's what Job was concerned about. It shows good parenthood. And we can assume here, these weren't kids, these weren't teenagers, they were growing kids, uh, it seems to anyway, um, when they're calling for each other to come together, they're not living at home. And so uh, Job did not stop praying for his kids, he did not stop caring for them and leading them in the ways of righteousness, uh, he interceded for them. How much do we do what Job do here? He didn't make a big scene of it, he didn't include them and involve them, he simply took them before the Lord, begged God for them. I think it's a great example for all of us. We're going to get into this a little more next week and uh, about what Job accomplished here as we go throughout this first chapter.